Okay, welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. This is a Tuesday episode, so with this is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Um, we're going to do something, I don't know if it's a little different today, but we're just going to focus on one topic, and it's going to be a little intangible in the sense that it's the moral questions that I'm contemplating and struggling with around the Israel-Hamas situation. So Hugo's going to ask me a bunch of questions. I will answer them. Um, also, Michael Eisenberg, who is a, a colleague in front of mine, he runs a VC fund in... Israel called Aleph, best VC fund, I think, in Israel, but is also very involved in Israeli politics. Um, he's going to come on, hopefully, for Thursday's episode. If we don't get him for Thursday, then it'll be for some time next week, um, but to, to give us his perspective from the ground as well. So, Hugo, how okay, are you? I'm good. So, good. I, what, uh, these questions, just to be clear, were written by... Um, Bradley, I mean, I saw them before, but... Um, yeah. So, we're, we, it's it's meant to be a little more formal than our than our usual... Um, our usual uh, episodes, but um, but we may have we may do some sort of broader discussion afterwards too. But we'll see how that goes. Sure. Okay. Okay. So the the first question is: Is a Jewish state of paramount importance to me? Me being you. Yeah. So because to me, wait, you didn't let me finish the question. Oh, I didn't. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Should its survival and security be the first and foremost consideration? This question over now. Yes. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to me, this is sort of the paramount. There's a list of like 10 questions or something like that. Um, but the reality is I, I'm not sure that the other nine really even combined are as meaningful as the answer to this question because it's almost binary. If your answer to this is yes, and mine is, and I'll get into it in a second why, then I wouldn't say that means that everything else is secondary and that the ends justify the means in every situation. But I think that if, you're, if your guiding principle is the state of Israel, a Jewish state, must exist no matter what, um, then it really does provide an intellectual moral framework for sort of the rest of the topics and the questions. And look, I'm not going to give an answer here that's going to surprise um, anybody. You know, my family are Holocaust survivors. Uh, my grandfather, do you know the story? Do this? Uh, I, I think you've told it, but I think you should tell it again. So he was from Poland, from a town called Ludz and grew up in a super orthodox family, and he was a rebellious guy. And his form of rebellion at the age of 15 was to join the Polish army, um, which sounds crazy, except that Russia invades Poland. They win like, an, it's sort of what I think what they thought was gonna happen in the Ukraine did happen in Poland. They win like 24 hours. My grandfather gets captured, sent to a prisoner of war camp in Siberia, which sounds about the worst possible thing, except it saved his life because the Nazis never made it to Siberia and the rest of his family died at Auschwitz. My grandmother was from Odessa. Um, her father was conscripted into the Red Army, died in the war. Um, they fled the Nazis as well, also ended up in Siberia. I'm not quite sure how, but she and my grandfather somehow met. When the war ended, he was freed, um, and they had my father, uh, and then they traveled across Europe to try to find their families and learn that everybody was, was dead. Wait, your father was born? He in, was born in, in Tashkent okay. um, in Russia. Um, my grandmother's family, there were people still alive, but not her father, but people still alive. My grandfather's family, everybody was dead. Um, and then they eventually ended up in Germany in the U.S. had set up refugee camps, and they lived there for years, like for five years. Um, and then eventually, finally... A cousin in Brooklyn um, sponsored them to come to the U.S. And quite frankly, you know, they would have gone anywhere. They would have been happy to go to Israel. They would have been happy to go to South America. You know, whoever would have taken them. And in fact, the namesake of the store, P&T Knitwear, is because when they came over, my grandfather and a guy he knew from the refugee camps, Mike Pudlow, the P and P and T, 
started the small sweater store on Allen Street in the Lower East Side. And so it, it seems to me that, it, and maybe I grew up with a certain amount of just general distrust um, of any kind of country's fealty to the Jews, um, but we've been around for over 5,700 years, and there's been anti-Semitism for over 5,700 years. And there's a reason why the Exodus happened. There's a reason why the Inquisition happened. Um, Jews have never managed to stay in a country safely and securely for a long, long stretch of time. Eventually, anti-Semitism takes over, and one way or another, we are forced out, we are murdered. There are pogroms, um, however you want to look at it. Uh, there is tremendous violence and anti-Semitism that ca causes Jews to be very unsafe, to be killed, six million in the Holocaust, obviously, and then ultimately have to have to leave in order to survive. Um, I would like to think that human nature has improved in the last 5,700 years, but I, I don't think it has, right? I don't think evolution happens that quickly. And so um, it seems to me that this will happen again, hopefully not in the United States, Hopefully I'm wrong, um, but if you said to me that at some point in my lifetime, or more likely my children's lifetime, that they would need to move to Israel to be safe, I, I really wouldn't be surprised. Now, I understand that, again, there's sort of this concept of epigenetics where, because I grew up, you know, with my very closely with my grandparents and, and their experience, um, I'm influenced by that, I get that, but they're not paranoid conspiracy theorists. These are people who literally lived through the Holocaust, and Jews have been dealing with this for thousands of years. And so if you accept that the only way for the Jewish people to exist and to have our, our right to be alive and to be safe for that to exist is to have a Jewish homeland. That Jewish homeland is the state of Israel. You can debate whether or not they put it in the right place. There's a lot of reasons why it made sense to go there. There's a lot of reasons why maybe it would have made more sense to put it somewhere else, but that's where it is. It's been that way for 85 years now. And um, I genuinely believe that in order to prevent another Holocaust, in order to prevent um, Jews in this country or the rest of the Western world from being persecuted in the way that we have been throughout time, there has to be a place to go. And Israel has the right of return, which means that any Jew or even someone related to a Jew, so like Hugo Sarah's Jewish, right? So I think the right of return would apply to you if you needed it. Um, could move to Israel, become an Israeli citizen immediately, whether it's now or in a time of crisis. Um, and that's how you're safe. And I just think that if, if you don't start with that principle, then you're basically saying, I am okay with the destruction of the Jewish people. I'm okay with another Holocaust. I'm okay with more pogroms. And even if you want to call it selfish, I'm just not okay with that. Uh, I'm not willing to live in a world where, where that is a realistic possibility, which means the state of Israel has to exist. And if it exists, it has to be strong, it has to be able to defend itself, which means everything we're about to discuss has to happen. Um, how do you separate the Palestinian people from their leadership? Are they totally different? Are they the same? Do they bear no culpability for the choice of the leaders? A it, lot, it, some? It's, it's a good question, right? Because um, on one hand, the people in the Gaza are to a certain extent oppressed, right? They are stuck in this sort of terrible situation. Um, and their leadership are a bunch of terrorists um, who do barbaric, terrible things. Nikki Haley had said the other day, I think somewhere, your, your candidate, Hugo, that um, when she was the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., she, there was polling that showed like that more than half of Gaza residents 
hated living under Hamas's rule. Um, and that's that's probably accurate. And by the way, if, if the poll's at half, the real number is probably exponentially higher. Um, so on one hand, no, no, I don't think the two million people who live in Gaza by and large um, should be punished for their leaders. I think they're living in a dictatorship. They're living in an atro- atrocious situation. Um, at the same time, I don't really know, and of course this is not just me, this is, I don't think anyone has figured this out since this began on October 7th, how you go after Hamas without risking uh, the lives of people, of Gazans, who are not involved in it either. Um, that's why Israel told everyone to evacuate, to move to the southern half. Um, if people choose not to, and Hamas is telling them not to, by the way, because Hamas literally is using their own people's human shields, right? They're saying basically they're willing to just try to blend in with their own people so that Israel can't tell the difference, so that if Israel does come after Hamas leadership or Hamas members, they have to kill innocent people as well. Um, so if you have any f- view that Hamas cared about its own people, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, so no, I, I don't think that they're culpable for it at all. At the same time, I think the fact that they're not culpable for it, if they choose not to evacuate, I, I, I don't think that you can say, well, Israel's hands are tied. It can't take action against Hamas because it's not the fault of the Palestinian people that they're in the situation. So what do you do about Gaza? How do you solve the military problem without creating a humanitarian problem? I think people have to evacuate, right? Like, I I don't think there's a world where Israel is not going to send ground troops in. In fact, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Um, And I don't think there is a world where Israel can allow this to stand, right? You know, Hamas killed 1,400 Israelis. They invaded kibbutzes. They raped women. They beheaded babies. You know, the shit that they did is, is beyond atrocious. And if you don't punish it severely, it will happen again and again and again. And effectively, if you don't punish it severely, if you don't root out Hamas and and eliminate its leadership and its military capabilities, um, you are effectively waving the white flag to the existence of Israel and the Jewish state, in my view. So um, you have to you have to do this because it's an existential question. So my hope would be a few things. One that uh, people in the Gaza Strip take the warning seriously and evacuate. Two, to the extent that you can carry this out in, it's, you know, it's easy to sit here in New York City and talk about sort of, you know, conducting a war in a thoughtful way, right, a targeted way. Um, the reality is it's war, right? Um, but to the extent that the Israelis can try to, through their intelligence, you know, really limit civilian casualties, keep providing opportunities for civilians um, to flee, all of that, uh, I would hope that they do that. But at the same time, I, I've never been in the military. I'm not a military expert in the slightest. Um, I trust the Israelis to make the judgments they need to make to defend and protect themselves. Um, and I think as a result, those who choose to stay in the northern half of Gaza are probably going to suffer in a way that they shouldn't have to. Tell me why, I'm going to break from the, the script for a second, because I want to know, why do you trust the Israelis? I understand why you trust them in a kind of uh, macro macro sense, but why do you trust the military leadership to do so the right be, thing? Because, well, the right thing meaning the right thing for the security of Israel. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying the right thing in terms of them having some like superhuman moral power to sort of separate like a, just with like laser vision, like this is a member of Hamas, this is a regular person. Like they can't do that, and I don't think anyone should expect them to be able to do that. Um, because over 85 years that they've they've proven that right. Because over 85 years. 
they have countless times faced destruction, faced extinction, and managed to fight off, you know, enemies from all sides uh, to stay in existence. And so, look, is the current state of Israel a mess? Absolutely. Netanyahu um, has helped destroy that country in many ways. And, and the, the view up until October 7th was, well, he's, you know, he's kind of destroyed the country internally, but it's still strong externally. And turns out he was just as bad externally as internally. Saw a poll the other day that, you know, 70-something percent of Israeli residents, you know, want him gone as soon as the war is over. And I think that's probably low. It should be pretty much everyone should want him out. He has been an absolute disaster for Israel for a long time. Um, and so while that and the intelligence failure that happened clearly does not inspire a lot of confidence in current Israeli leadership, um, and I do hope that they get rid of of both Netanyahu and his far-right allies as soon as possible. In this specific situation, a unity government, that which is what they have formed, is really the only path forward to deal with the war itself. As soon as they're past this point, um, then I would hope that they reform. And when I say reform, I mean re- literally reform the government, but also reform in the sense of take these terrible um, undemocratic, kind of norms that Netanyahu and his allies, the Haredi, tried to push through to limit the power of Jashiri and make Israel a, a more uh, religious state um, and eliminate all of those. Um, because look, you know, it, there was at least some level of distraction, right? When you have internal protests raging day after day after day for, you know, the better part of 2023, when you have military leaders quitting, when you have reservists say that they're not going to co- become up if they were called, um, did all of that lead to the actual collapse of intelligence? I don't know, but it seems like a pretty bad combination. And so um, am I confident in this Israeli leadership? No. But am I confident in the overall institutions that Israel has built over its 85-year history? Yes. You're 50 years old. You're obviously not much used to the uh, to the Israeli army as a fighting guy. Maybe you never were. Yeah. But um, if you were a young guy, uh, if you were in your 20s or your late teens, do you think you would— be in Israel serving in the army? Is that something you... you no, because I, I could have could have done that, right? Okay. So, so you know, it sounds great to say, yeah, I'd be there, but the reality, I wasn't there. Um, no, and keep in mind, they called up 360,000 reservists, right? Yeah, it's a lot. It's, they're not hurting for soldiers <laughs> right. or no, I'm just curious about your own, I, I, um, about your, your own feelings about it, That's I guess. I mean, I, I, I think that if there was an existential fight and the only way to preserve the Jewish people and the Jewish state was my personally being involved, then I like to think that I would do it, right? Um, but again, it's very easy to sit here in the in the sanctity and security of New York City and, and make these statements. Um, and when the time did come, now there was no need for me to, right. but nonetheless, I don't want to act like it ever crossed my mind because it never did. Right. Um, is there a world in which nation building by Israel in Gaza could work or make sense? No, absolutely not. There was a piece in the Times today, I don't know if you saw it, kind of laying out the principles for the nation building strategy Israel should use based on the mistakes we made in Iraq. And it seems to me the lesson of history is pretty clear. Do not try to nation build. It never works. Whenever an occupying country takes over a territory, you know, either it just completely subsumes them through a dictatorship or if they try to actually build democratic norms and institutions, it fails miserably. We saw that in Afghanistan. We saw that in Iraq. Um, Israel should do what they need to do to take out Hamas. And then when they're done, they should get out and they should not be trying to govern Gaza because it will just become this 
massive problem that they will not be able to fix or solve or make better in any way. And, and I understand the argument that, well, if you don't build democratic institutions and norms there, then this is all just going to happen again and that the, the, the Gazan people are just going to hate Israel even more. That may all be true, um, but at the same time, there is no example of Israel, of any country that I can speak think to, that has really done a good job nation building in that way. And I think that if the concern is that Israel is already so distracted, and that's part of what may have led to the intelligence failures, trying to all of a sudden build a new society in Gaza is the last thing they should do. You mentioned the story in the Times. How are you following this? Do you watch TV, reading the Times? What else are you using as sources for Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I usually never watch TV, and I am watching some TV now. So for me, it's a little bit of a departure. Uh, really just CNN. I, I don't trust what you hear on Fox or, or MSNBC. I think MSNBC is, you know, in order to maintain their position as sort of the, the woke network, you know, ha- has to sort of shade towards the Palestinian point of view and, and obviously Fox towards the Israeli. Um, so I've been watching CNN. Um, but just reading a lot, and it's, you know, this is obviously, these are the times where sort of the news sources that you find somewhat reputable become important, right? So it's been the Times, it's been the Washington Post, um, it's been the Atlantic, it's been the Wall Street Journal to a certain extent. Um, but that, and then, you know, individual articles. And I've also, I subscribed or signed up for Haaretz, which is an Israeli paper, um, to be able to access some of their content. Um, but no, I mean, I think, but I assume like you, between the my political consultant text thread and, and a bunch of other people, there's sort of a, a constant sharing of articles all right. day, every day, to the point where there's actually more than I can, can read. Um, but but I read what I can. Do you, do you look at the, like I noticed that New York Magazine has a story about like profiles of families that were killed. Um, is that useful to, to, to read? Do you think like there's, there's a kind of, I mean, obviously, remember it, in 9-11, there were those endless um, yeah. uh, small obituaries that were, I mean, I read them, I, re, I mean, I don't know if I read all of them, but I definitely read yeah. a lot of them. And they they were, I guess, therapeutic. I don't know how to, to, to well, define what they were. I, I would say it's more that um, by knowing the atrocities that were committed in these pogroms and these attacks by Hamas um, and seeing the victims as human beings and not as statistics, um, I think you are better able, in my view, to remember the underlying principle, which is we need a secure Jewish homeland, a secure Jewish state, and that Israel needs to do what it needs to do to ensure that that's the case. And so I think in some ways, for me at least, reading some of these obituaries and biographies, I didn't see the New York Magazine thing specifically, but generally I know what you're talking about, um, has been more helping me reinforce um that Israel needs, you know, all the support that we we can give it in every way possible. How much do you care about sort of international views, like what world leaders think? You know, I mean, it it doesn't look to a certain extent. If if Israel spent all of its time worrying what other people thought, it wouldn't exist, right? You know, so so on one hand, it doesn't really matter. On the other hand, it's interesting to see the geopolitics line up because obviously this war could spill beyond. Israel and Hamas or Israel and Hezbollah. Um, Iran clearly has been supporting uh, Hezbollah and, and maybe Hamas. Um, the Saudis, on the other hand, probably uh, don't want to see Hamas and Hezbollah succeed because Iran is their biggest rival and threat um, in the region. Um, Russia, I imagine, is pretty delighted with all of this. I don't know if they helped orchestrate it or they're just a beneficiary of it, but anything that can A, make oil prices more volatile, um, and B, 
uh, just come or just to, higher. Yeah, higher, and then distract uh, U.S. and Western attention from from the Ukraine war. Um, that's good for Russia. We saw China over the weekend basically side with Hamas, um, and at least what I read was, which makes sense, um, China is an authoritarian country. It's a totalitarian country, and their view is that they want allies who also believe in totalitarianism, and the Arab countries in many ways have that same zero-sum mentality as Russia, as China, um, and therefore it makes sense for from a macro geopolitical standpoint for China to line up that way. So, um, and then obviously the US and, and Western Europe on the other side. Um, so overall, look, I, I, I don't think it matters in the sense of, as we've seen throughout history, because there's so much rampant anti-Semitism across the world, and we're already seeing it here in the US, in fact, we saw it almost immediately with the DSA and Black Lives Matters and others. Um, there's going to be condemnation of Israel, right? Israel. Well, that's that's kind of my next question. Yeah. Is just how do you so how do you I, feel about the DSA I, BLM supporting so, the most? So, so two things. So one is in terms of the condemnation of Israel, um, I don't think Israel can can sort of worry about that and doing what it needs to do. If it did, then it would effectively be just right. just conceding its right to exist in the first place. Um, you know, I thought a lot about the second one, and I'm, normally speaking, I am not a one issue voter in the sense of I've been in politics for a long time. Politicians are complicated. People are complicated. Issues are complicated. And, you know, almost by definition, if, if, if anyone agrees with you or you agree with anyone else 100% of the time, then one of you isn't thinking, right? Everyone who is, is using their brain, it's going to have different viewpoints than everybody else. That's good. Um, which means that, you know, I generally reject the view from the far left or the far right that if someone isn't exactly like you at all times and saying exactly what you say and what you think that you can't interact with them i think that that's ridiculous and dangerous so the question becomes what happens when the people saying that are people that genuinely don't believe in your right to exist right because if you look at the hamas charter it's not like they want a two-state solution or peace like they're very clear to the river to the from the river to the sea destruction of israel israel should not exist the holocaust according to them never happened um, and so when the DSA actively backs Hamas, when the Black Lives Matter actively backs Hamas, what they are saying is, I don't have a right to exist. So then the question is, can you work with, on other issues, people who don't believe that I have the right to exist? I, I don't know, right? Because, you know, my instinct to say, no, absolutely not. How could I? Um, but then, you know, next year when we are moving um, our school meals bills through the states that we're going to do next year, um, would we not want the support of sort of far left legislators and feeding hungry kids? No, of course we're going to want it, right? And if far right legislators who believe in it from a kind of a compassionate Christian standpoint want to help hungry kids, we're going to want that too, right? And so um, I, I, in theory, I feel like at the moment, I should never want to work with any of these people again. And to be clear, because they are so dogmatic, it's not like they usually want to work with me either, right? Because they don't like um, at least some things about me, some things that I've worked on, some things that I believe. I am therefore evil uh, to, to most of the far left, um, even though, you know, I would argue I'm feeding hungry kids and they're just tweeting, um, but, or Xing or whatever it's called now. Um, so, but, but so it's a very hard question. Um, right now, if someone from the DSA called me about something else, I would have a very hard time taking their call. Um, but I also think six months from now, when we're trying to pass school meals in Illinois, um, am I going to turn down their support? Probably not. Are you pessimistic about the future of Israel? 
No, I, maybe I should be. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a major breakdown in society there, both domestically and militarily, right? To have this type of military intelligence failure and to have, um, you know, the kind of unrest and the unraveling of democratic norms, institutions that they've been having there over the past year or two um, it is really bad. At the same time, it, it's one of the most resilient societies and countries in the history of the world, right? It is a country that um, has succeeded against all odds, has built sort of this incredible society that is thriving in, in almost every way, um, in a region, by the way, where that's not necessarily the norm everywhere, right? You, you would like it to be, but it's a region that generally doesn't believe in democratic norms and principles, um, doesn't actually believe in, in, in capitalism and free markets, and as a result, um, people really suffer in, in lots of countries all over the Middle East. Um, Israel, by embracing these norms and, and structures, um, has done incredibly well. And in fact, that's why and we've been talking about this in the podcast long before October 7th. Uh, I've been so concerned about Israel because to me, the eroding of those norms and structures through internal politics is what puts the country at greatest risk. So um, with all of that said, my gut is Israel will do what it needs to do to... Uh, limit Hamas and their ability to do this again. And then I think that all of this hopefully is a wake-up call to Israelis more broadly um, that the kind of power grab that you saw within, inside Israel from Netanyahu, from the religious right, um, is completely unacceptable. That gets rejected, um, and hopefully the two things coalesce together. The other thing I'll say is, you know, while Israel should not try to nation-build in Gaza— it, the U.S. is a 9-11, which you brought up before, is a really good model for all of this, right? Which is when it came to going after al-Qaeda and the people that committed the acts against the U.S. of terrorism, we did great, right? You know, we wiped out al-Qaeda leadership. There has not been a major, you know, terrorist attack on this country since 9-11. We hardened our defenses. You know, the country did an absolutely phenomenal job, and that's law enforcement, that's military, that's everything, and then when we tried to sort of greedily nation-build in Iraq, it, it couldn't have been worse. It's a disaster. Almost a million innocent people died. We wasted trillions of dollars. Thousands of American soldiers died for no reason whatsoever. And so um, it seems to me that, that we have the path and the model here, which is Israel needs to do to Hamas what the U.S. did to al-Qaeda and to other groups supporting al-Qaeda. Um, and then Israel needs to, when that's done, not do what we did in Iraq and get out. Uh, a word that gets thrown around some uh, uh, regarding the Israelis' treatment of, of um, the Palestinians is, is apartheid. Now, if, if someone says that, um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they support Hamas. But if you hear that word, you just reject that that person's view? Is that, is that, a, well, is that no, a, a criticism that, I, I, that I you at least understand? A, or We should have a Palestinian state. I, I, I strongly believe that, right? And Palestinians should have their own state with their own government and their own right to sort of self-determination. Um, and I fully accept and support that. Um, but at the same time, when terrorists are literally running the show, um, what can you do, right? Uh, it, 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 that other state has to recognize your right to exist and your right to exist peacefully. And so, you know, there's been lots of efforts throughout time to, to try to reach a, a two-state solution. And, and I would still support that today, um, but the idea that you're going to equate um, the goal of a Palestinian, you know, free homeland with leadership from Hamas is asinine. 
How about the response of the American government? Um, it's been excellent. It's been excellent. And is there anything, obviously this is moves specifically to your area of expertise in terms of handling the politics of it. What is the path forward in terms of what the Biden administration should be doing? Well, I think there's, you know, Blinken's been fantastic. He was in Israel and Egypt uh, last week, and I think Saudi as well. Um, there's talk of Biden going to Israel this week. I hope that happens. Um, I think that that would show real... That's important. So Schumer's there. Um... Schumer's there, and that that's great, but, you know... Um, He's not the president, right? Like, nope, never will be. <laughs> um, no. So I, I do think, and 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 he's a New York Jew, so the politics for him line up especially well. Um, but I think that for Biden, this would be a chance to show leadership. And look, Biden has been excellent on foreign policy for a long time. He had tremendous expertise from all of his years in the Senate, focused on these issues. And overall, whether it's you know Ukraine or or we haven't really seen much pop up from. North Korea, or I mean, basically, Biden's foreign policy has been pretty effective. It's mainly containment, but it's pretty much worked. And so, um, this is also a chance, I think, to sort of further uh, publicize something that he's actually quite good at. Um, and I would think that, you know, if, if uh, I've seen Jared Kushner say that, you know, if, if Trump I, were president, I think this I never texted you that. Happened. Yeah, yeah that, that's a r ridiculous. Um, and Trump hasn't even been supportive of the Israelis or biden around this um well his his behavior seems bizarre although every i, I guess mean, it always is it's so. always bizarre but right. well you know what it is he's literally mentally ill right he can't take any situation and remove himself from it right so it is like narcissism to the highest possible degree and so israel is brutally attacked and all he sees was netanyahu didn't back him on something a couple of years ago when he wanted it so therefore too bad for israel right or Biden is sort of leading the way to support a country that he claimed to, to feel strong kinship with, but Biden beat him in the election, so automatically that's The conversations that. around the dinner table about Netanyahu with his uh, son-in-law must be pretty great. Um, that's true. I, well, no, I doubt it. But um, so I, I think Biden, you know, is doing a great job here. I think he has to hold steady in what he's doing. And look, he, he did say, and he's right, you know, the goal is not for Israel to become an occupying force in Gaza, um, because I think he sort of both has seen that lesson play out badly throughout his own, you know, watching U.S. history. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with the U.S. being extremely supportive of Israel and yet still providing a certain amount of guidance and parameters and saying, like, this is what's acceptable and this is where you might be making a mistake. And we've made those mistakes and let's try to help you avoid them. Well, we'll obviously be continuing this conversation soon, um, probably on Thursday, as you mentioned. Yep. Um, so uh, I guess we'll leave it there. Is that a good place to yep. sign Sounds off? Sounds good. Okay. See All you right. on Thursday. Thank you. Firewall is recorded on the Lower East Side of PNT Network, home to New York City's only free podcast recording studio. Let us know if you have a question, feedback, or ideas for a guest. Just email me at bradley at firewall.media or find me on Twitter, or some people now call it X, at Bradley Tusk. And don't forget to pre-order my debut novel, Obvious in Hindsight, wherever books are sold, especially here at PNT Network.